Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. Joining me for a second time today is Dr. Gregory DeFelice. Dr. DeFelice and I are going to be discussing part two to our ACL repair saga. So if you missed part one, Dr. D and I talked about ACL repair and how reconstruction might not be the only option. And today we continue that conversation and dive in a little bit deeper. I know you're going to love this episode enjoy it and be sure to share it with a friend or someone you know who think you think might benefit from hearing this information. And I was trying to spread it because to me, it makes complete sense. You know, at this point in time, I'm going to fast forward to today. I'm going to mix in, go, I'm going to go back and forth. At this point in time, my group has published over 70 articles on this. I've performed over 500 primary ACL repairs. If you include all the multi-legs, it's probably over 600. Right. So I've got the biggest experience, I'm pretty sure, in the entire world. If it wasn't working, I wouldn't be doing it. Right. It, for 15 years, I've been doing this. And in my practice today, of all the ACLs that I do, and now most at least half, if not more, of all the surgery that I do is ACLs. As you can imagine, when you have a, you know, a, a nifty new way of doing things, people hear about it and all of a sudden they want to come Do people fly in from all over the world for me to do their ACL with this approach, the preservation first approach. And in my practice and my volume is probably top 5% uh, of all surgeons in the country for ACLs with the number of ACLs I do per year, somewhere in the top five or 10%. So I do a lot of ACLs and um, I do 50% of all the people who come into my office, get a repair of the patients over age 35 or 40, probably 85% of those people get repaired. I only, and then for a quarter of the people I do uh, augments where I repair part of it and I and add a graft. The, the teenagers, the under 21 crowd, is they commonly get that one. In the beginning, when I reported on my first 120 patients or so, there was about 20 or 23 or four patients who were under 21, they were teenagers. And at that time I was, I thought it was gonna work for everybody. And what we found was that at probably one third of those kids retore. And now two thirds of them did fine. And they continued on. They got to back to school. They got back to sports very quickly. And they, you know, some of them were 13 years out. Um, but a third of them failed. And that number is too high. So we, I don't do it quite as much on that group. And I think the reason we had those fail is because I got a little overexcited in the beginning. And ones that I should have probably augmented, I might have repaired not knowing, you know. I wouldn't say it's, it's all a judgment call, right? And everything we do, whether it's therapy or business or whatever it is, you learn as you go. And so I've learned, you know, which ones are the best ones and which ones are the ones you probably shouldn't reach for. Now, the patients over age 35 who tear it skiing with a bad fall or tear it in the bar league softball or, you know, playing old guys or old girls soccer or whatnot, a huge number of those people peel it right off the bone. And personally, I believe it's a blood supply issue that as you get older, the blood supply to the to the ACL at the wall isn't quite as good and you tend to tear it at the bone. But that is, 
that goes along with every tendon in the body that people tear, right? Most of the tendons tear right at the bone. This is a ligament, but it's similar because the blood supply at the bone gets a little suspect as we get older. So um, if you take all of the comers, right, all the ACLs out there in America, each year there's roughly 300,000 ACL tears. Uh, I would say that probably this year, 99% of all the people who tore their ACL are going to get a reconstruction without one minute of thought being given to whether they could get a repair. According to my research, 40% of the patients have a tear within the top 25% of the ligament. And I estimate that somewhere between 100 and 120,000 of those 300,000 patients could get a repair rather than a reconstruction, right? So that's, those are pretty sobering numbers. And you ask, and everybody asks me, they always ask me, why? Why don't other people do this? And what I've learned over the years is that, as I mentioned, it's extremely hard to change the status quo. All over the world, people are starting to do it. Some people have started quite a while ago. There's a small group of us, maybe 10 of us around the world, who have been doing it for 10 years or more. And we all have the same experience. Like, it's amazing, you know, the, pa the, the right patient and the right tear, they can get out uh, and recover quickly and avoid all the morbidity of the big surgery. And, and I get emails all the time from doctors around the world who say, Doc, you know, thanks so much. You changed my whole practice life. I started doing ACL repairs. And now, you know, I, 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 I've done a bunch of them. The patients are doing great. And, and that's really heartening, right? That uh, makes you feel good that other people are having the same experience and that, and that I, I didn't, uh, I'm not crazy, right? Because <laughs> certainly I've been told that by more than a, more than a few of my colleagues. Um, I think you're, you're on to something here, Dr. D. I mean, plain and simple, like you said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, and ultimately, we have to do what's best for the patient. And if this is an approach that's going to be best for the patient, then it has to at least be considered and given a seat at the table, if nothing else. Yeah, we're starting to get there. For the first time in 15 years, in the past two or three years, the, the conversation has really taken an uptick. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good. You know, I'm happy because you can imagine how much work I've put into this over the years. I've, I've lectured all over the world. I've, you know, probably we've published, you know, over 75 papers or close to 75 papers. Um, you know, we've taken care of 500 patients. Now, the other thing you can ask, which we have to complete the circle, right? Is so, okay, now we know that that some people, like there's a variety of ACL tears and some people might, it might be a good option to try this different procedure because the procedure's less morbid, the recovery's faster, they feel more normal, they use less pain medicine, they think about their knee less, their strength is better and it just keeps going on and on, right? And you have to, you go, well, how come all those things are better? It's because the surgery is super small and we're just putting your anatomy back where the good Lord started it, right? So all we're trying to do is takes a certain number of the tears that have reasonably good tissue quality 
and put them back up to where they're supposed to be and keep our fingers crossed that the AC, that it heals, right? So we do a small surgery to hit a home run rather than do a big surgery to, you know, get a double. Because you know as well as I do, there's a lot of troubles that come along with reconstructions, right? And, you know, the kids are getting younger and younger and younger who are getting reconstructions. And, you know, everybody seems to think that their 13-year-old or 14-year-old's great athlete, when in reality, they're just a kid. And when you put a, when you whop them with a giant surgery, you send them into a tailspin and some of these kids never come out. Only 60% of all high school kids ever go back to play sports, not just play sports at the same level. Only 60% ever hit a field again after ACL surgery. And if you take care of a bunch of kids, you know what I'm talking about. This injury and this surgery derails a huge number of people because you lose your whole identity because our, our world has gotten so obsessed with sports, right? Yeah. No, Kids are playing right. on three teams, you know, year round. It's, it's crazy. And, the, and then you get hurt and you're out. The, the mental side of that as well, I mean, I'm thinking about some of the different ones I've seen who ACL only go week and a half on bracing crutches, and that's a week and a half that they might not be going out seeing their friends, they might not be engaging in school as they want, uh, and full return to sport is 9 to 12 months at minimum. That's 9 to 12 months you're out away doing all the things that you want to do, uh, away from doing the things that you want to do. And ultimately, you have no control over your situation at that point. Amen. What, what you're explaining from your approach is you get back to walking within two, three days. Um, it sounds like you keep a brace on the patient, but they're, you know, unrestricted for the most part. The edema gets controlled pretty quick. You were showing me some clips earlier of someone who was, I believe, four or five days post-op had not even gone to PT yet, and they had what looked like almost full range of motion of the knee. I mean, that's significant. And full quad function. And full quad function. You yeah. know as well as I do, that's the that's the demon, right? <laughs> Trying to get that quad to fire. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, um, I, I mean, in general, just not disrupting the extensor mechanism of the knee and yeah. not disrupting the um, hamstring uh, at the only soft tissue uh, stabilizer that we have that prevents anterior translation of the tibia. I mean, the fact that you can leave all of that intact, and I'm assuming you're just doing two small scope incisions to repair the ACL. Yeah, we do. Uh, there's three little incisions at the joint line and one down below to drill up. So what, what we what I do, the technical aspects of what I do is very much like a rotator cuff repair. I weave stitches into each bundle of the ACL, and then I anchor it back to the wall with a, a, basically a rotator cuff anchor, right? And then the last thing we do is pull a, a, a strong suture called a, a, a tape, um, a fiber tape. We pull it down and run it along the ACL and drill a whole, little itty bitty hole through the tibia and anchor it down low so it runs along the same trajectory as the ACL. Now, what that acts like is a seat belt. So while the while the ACL is healing, that little tape will take up the uh, will take up the any like if you tripped or fell or slipped, it, it would stop you. Um, and that just sits in there and scars in while the ACL is healing. 
So that's like a little, uh, you know, safety measure like a seatbelt would be. So that's the technical aspect of it. It's, you know, you can see what I do with, on the internet. You can see it on my website. You can see it all over the place. You can see the patients. If you go to my Instagram or Facebook, I'm uh, at DRDFelice. So Dr. DFelice at DRDFelice. You can uh, check out the Facebook uh, stuff and, and Instagram stuff. Um, but it's... Uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's dramatically different than uh, the standard ACL reconstruction experience. And the other thing that we didn't mention is, you know, most docs are trained that uh, when you tear your ACL, you go and then the doc says, well, you should go to therapy for six weeks or two months to get your quad back and your range of motion firing. And then you should... Uh, and then we can do the ACL reconstruction, right? So now you're tacking on even more time, right? And so if you're a high school athlete or whatnot, you're going to, that's, that's trouble. You're going to miss a lot of seasons. If you're, you know, higher up athlete, you know, you can, it's still, it's just time away from doing what you want to do. And so I can, I treat things completely differently. You know, when I see people who've torn their ACL, the first thing I do is drain all the blood out of their knee and immediately start them moving back and forth. And most of my patients are generally on the operating room table within a week or two, and they've already begun their rehab. So as I mentioned, if you're, if you're one of those folks, like say, let's take, for example, a 40-year-old skiing mom um, who's active, who plays tennis and pickleball, and she's, you know, she's very active. She's a former collegiate athlete, and she wants to stay active. And she went out with the kids, and she went to Vail or aspen or j-hole or wherever and she got knocked when she was coming off the ski chairlift fell backwards and popped her acl that type of injury is you know as i mentioned those types of people i repair like 85 percent of them so i would have her uh on the table within the first week or two and she, by six weeks she would be running now, remember, the standard of care is to go to therapy for six to eight weeks and then have your surgery. So by the time you're having your surgery to start your nine month to a year long recovery, my patients are already running. And it's not just one or two or 10 or 20. It's 500 now. So the, and it's not just a, you know, a year or two experience. It's 15 years. I'm pretty comfortable with how this works. Now, the trouble is, is there's not a lot, not a ton of other doctors who are, right? Because most of the docs who are out there who are just learning about it, maybe they've been listening to me talk about it and some others talk about it for a few years before you get comfortable. And then, you know, you got to try it and you got to. So it takes time for doctors to to re to accept the fact that maybe they want to try something new and then it takes time for them to learn it. And then it's so. You know, so that's where the most of the folks out there doing these things now, except for a small group, are you know where I was ten years ten years ago. But hey, look, we got to start somewhere, right? I mean, if if we we didn't start talking about this, we would still be saying you know just trying to figure out how we're going to better do a, a reconstruction. And with my way of thinking, you know. Certainly in my practice, I can take 50% off the table and, and not do a reconstruction at all.
Now you may, some people may say, oh, that's crap. That doesn't work. It's going to fail. It may just fail. Like the old surge, old papers said it would fail by five years. So it's going to fail. Well, look, you know, I published a bunch of data. Other doctors are publishing their data. It shows that the failure of ACL repair, excluding the teenagers, right? The failure of ACL repair over age 21 is roughly equivalent to the failure of ACL reconstruction without the morbidity, right? right. Without the right. suffering. Right. So in, in my particular practice, I've reported that over age 21 at roughly three and a half to four years out, the failure rate was about 4.5% all comers. So it's roughly 1% of the people who had the surgery per year are going to have an injury. And we have data that's close to eight, eight and a half years out now. And, it, and that, that now it's about 8%. So that number kind of holds true, which is 1% per year. What I haven't seen is a lot of people tear the opposite knee. Because a lot of people who have reconstructions tear the opposite knee because they're favoring the knee they had the big surgery on. They put all their weight on the other knee and then they tear that one. I haven't seen that a lot with my repair patients, which is great, right? And it kind of makes sense, right? Because if you have a little itty bitty surgery and you get back to pretty close to normal, then you don't have to favor your knee. I'd imagine it's just a far more anatomically correct um, repair as well compared to the reconstruction. It's my procedure. There's a few other procedures that have come out now. My procedure is anatomically correct and addresses each of the bundles. I call it the anatomic suture anchor primary ACL repair. You know, we've published about it multiple times, and that, that's my go-to. To be honest with you, I've been doing it that way since day one. I haven't really changed the technique very much since the first one I ever did. Um, you know, I added that little internal brace, and that's been helpful. After, after about 50 of them, I added that. And then I there's a couple other little tweaks, but we really haven't – the whole concept is pretty much kind of – the same as it was with the first one I ever did. Do you? And it just makes good sense. It does. It does. I'm a huge fan of it so far. How do you approach it if there's a meniscus tear concurrently? Uh, we just repair the meniscus. We have to. Uh, we go a little slower on the recovery, so you're going to have to uh, use crutches for a month or so. Keep your weight off it. Uh, so we treat it. You know the standard. This the rest of it's the standard way. Now the other thing you were. At, uh, before I get to that, let me just say um, the other big question people have and everybody you know, at, at wants to know is like, what happens if it does fail? OK, like I just told you, one percent of my patients per year, uh, like I've had failures. So we've had about 30 or 40 people out of 500 fail over the, you know, the course of the long time that I've been doing it. And. What happens is a lot of the other docs will say, oh, you know, you, it's going to be harder to revise it and do a re it, it's doing a, re a reconstruction after a repair is almost as simple as or straightforward. Let's not say simple. Um, it's almost as, it's just basically as straightforward as doing an ACL reconstruction for the first time on the on a patient who was just injured. Right. The right. anchors, we can drill right through the anchors so I can put my tunnels right where I want to. So I haven't really struggled at all, 
right? Trying to, if I have to technically revise, right? So it will be a revision from a failed repair to a reconstruction. But it's not really a revision like a failed reconstruction is, right? A failed reconstruction is a very complicated procedure if you have to redo it. That can get kind of, that can get into some serious stuff. But um, a repair that gets injured. And by the way, I use the word failed, but it's not really failed. Most of them are injured. Like one of my patients crashed skateboarding at 25 miles an hour down, the, down a hill. Another one had a car fall on them. Another one, you know, cartwheeled down the mountain skiing. You know, and so these are all very real injuries that the people had when they were back doing the stuff they wanted to do for multiple years. Right. right. I'm, I'm willing to bet that almost any ACL would tear in some of those situations. I don't care if it's the original, a repaired, a quad tendon, BTB, whatever. Um, there, there's some instances where that ligament just can't hold on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we've been learning a lot about people who have extra risk factors. Um, you know, uh, we call them non-modifiable risk factors. Shout out to doctors Cordasco and Green at my hospital, who've done some tremendous work looking at that um, in the younger populations and the pediatric ACLs. So some people are prone to tear these things and they have some and so what we're finding is that we can add what's called the LET, the lateral extraarticular tenodesis, in some of those high-risk patients, and we can dampen down the, uh, the incidence of re-injury after reconstruction. And uh, you know, also a sh shout out to Dr. Sonnery Cote in Lyon, France, who's, and, and a bunch of others who've done some tremendous work uh, identifying uh, the benefit of those procedures. So, so that's that is the revision, right? The risk of re-injury. And then what happens if you re-injure? Well, it's pretty, yeah, okay, now you have to have the big surgery. So we tried the little one. In fact of the matter is, is uh, I've probably re-repaired about 10 of them over the 15 years. And Were they so touring, it's not you're able, you're able to repair able it. To again. Re repair it right back, yeah which is kind of crazy. I don't really talk about that much, but do you, um, do you have like a different, do you have a different approach on the second repair? I use a slightly different technique. You know, I don't, like I said, I don't really talk about that that much. We're going to probably write a paper about that soon because we have pretty good follow-up on those patients. But if it, if it's this hard for other docs to accept even talking about repair in the first place, it's going to be even harder for, to talk to them about re-repair. <laughs> so We'll uh, we'll uh, wait a little bit before we uh, climb that mountain. Yeah. Now you were asking about uh, other uh, injuries, right? Meniscus tears, MCLs, LCLs, etc. And I told you right in the beginning that I'm a trauma-heavy surgeon, so right. I see a lot of people who have horrific knee injuries with multiple. We call it the multiply multiple ligament injured knee, MLIK, the MLIK. Um, we're all about, you know, those little abbreviations in medicine. So, um, and I take care of a lot of those. And in the past, uh, the, the same thing was true is that when you tore all those ligaments, you would go in and you would do reconstructions on all of them. You'd go, you know, what we would call an around the world reconstruction. 
And what I've found over the years, as I've gotten better and better at these techniques and more and more comfortable recognizing the injury patterns of the tissue, I've started to repair the MCL, the ACL, the PCL, the LCL. And so I do minim minimally invasive approaches to tack the, the tissues back into place so that they can heal on their own. Now, most people for like, say, for example, MCLs, you know, as well as I do that the standard treatment for that is to put them in a brace and wait two months until it heals. And then, and then once the MCL heals to do your ACL reconstruction, the same thing as I do with my ACL patients is many of those MCLs kind of pop right off the bone. And if you re I go in and repair the ACL and the MCL at the same time, they're up and walking the next day and moving. And many of them are, you know, running by three months. They're a little slower than the, than the straight ACL repairs, but, um, but that's a whole different treatment algorithm. And my team, we just, we just published a big article in the arthroscopy journal suggesting to the other doctors that there's a subset of patients that we should be more aggressive about operating on for the MCL injuries. So I repair a good number of MCLs um, right along there with the ACL and it, uh, and it, it really speeds up the recovery. That's interesting. Uh, how about from a cartilage side, if there's a cartilage defect, I'd imagine that's a bit more rare than some of the MCL or meniscus type injuries, but if a patient yeah, has a cartilage defect and ACL tear uh, simultaneously. Um, yeah, let me, I'll go for that one too in just a second. I wanted to add one more thing to that MCL talk was that, you know, looking back at why we don't do ACL repair, you can look at the old experience with the open surgery and the cast. The same damn thing is true for MCLs is we used to treat MCLs operatively with huge incision on the medial side of the knee. And then we put them in a cast up to their hip and they would get miserably stiff. And so the doctors, when I was taught in the late 90s, I was taught that not to mess with the MCL because you'd rather have a loose knee than a stiff knee, right? Because once you operate on the MCL and put them in a cast, they're going to be stiff for the rest of their life because the MCL is a ligament that's tremendously prone to, to stiffness, right? And loss of range of motion. But if you do a minimal approach, and you just tack things back into place and you add the internal brace, then you can bend it the next day without worrying about it loosening up and you can walk right on it. Well, then it's a whole different story. And so I have a different approach for all the ligaments in the knee. My only plea with all patients are, is that once you hear the pop or the or two pops or whatever it is, come in and see me immediately. Don't wait. Don't show up six to eight weeks later and then say, what do I do? Because then the body's already tried to heal everything and you can't sneak in there and adjust things while it's healing, right? right? So we're essentially trying to trick the body into healing everything back the way it was supposed to be. Now, you mentioned uh, cartilage tears and stuff. They're not quite as common with ACLs. ACLs are the main injuries with ACLs. The overwhelming injuries are meniscus and the ACL and some other ligaments. Cartilage is down there. It, it happens, but we usually we don't get too crazy trying to do much for the cartilage because there's so much uh, healing potential in the knee 
once you do the surgery because in the, the healing environment created by the bleeding in the knee, um, that sometimes those cartilage injuries just kind of heal over. So when's, when's the book coming out? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got uh, one, of, one of my uh, research guys published his uh, PhD. He, he uh, defend, successfully defended his PhD, Dr. Vanderlist. Um, and he's uh, from the Netherlands and he was, uh, he's just started his sports fellowship. So he has a whole book out, uh, or his PhD thesis was, a, you know, in fact, it's sitting right here at my desk. You know, that's his PhD thesis with all those studies that we've written about ACL repair. And then and Dr. Fairmijan Don, who's another one of our uh, researchers, is just about to sit for his PhD uh, defense. So we've got um, several, but we're, gonna, we're probably gonna start working on, on the book, at least uh, uh, a surgical book, uh, probably this year. That's exciting. Dr. D, uh, you've completely changed my thoughts and just mindset around ACL injuries and our approach to them from a surgical standpoint and just really kind of flipped the world upside down here. And I love that. I think that we need more movers and shakers and people who are willing to challenge the status quo, such as yourself. And I'm really thankful for you and all the work that you're currently doing to make a better environment and kind of improve the situation of healthcare for the people that we see day after day. We've talked about so many different things relating to your backstory, your approach, how you've gotten to do what you do uh, you know, today. Is there anything that we missed along the way or any other thoughts or remarks that you wanted to bring home here? Yeah, you know, look, I tell everyone who I've operated on, um, I say, look, you know, so, and some of the people came to me just out of serendipity. They just picked my Italian name out of the hat at HSS. And they said, I'm going to go to that guy because I tore my ACL and it says he does ACLs. And then some people come because they're referred and some people came because they're, they're very studious and they research alternatives to ACL reconstruction because they may know a brother or a sister or a friend or somebody who had that surgery and really didn't do well. Because there's a lot of people out there who had that surgery who didn't do so well, right? We all know some. Like if we were sitting in a room with a thousand people who all had ACL reconstruction surgery and we said, hey, how many, how many people out there are super excited about how normal their knee feels? I'm not sure how many hands would go up. Yet when we did a study looking at what's called the forgotten joint score, which means that you never think about your knee ever. At least half of the patients who we did ACL repair on scored 100, meaning that they literally couldn't remember which knee we operated on. That's incredible. That's, that's incredible. I know. It's nuts. And ours was the first paper looking at the thing called the forgotten joint score, which is a series. It's called the FJS-12. And it's a series of 12 questions that asks you, how often do you think about your knee? Say, for example, when you're in bed. How about when you're walking, when you're gardening, when you're doing the dishes, when you're uh, walking up and downstairs, sitting in a chair? It asks you a bunch of questions. It tallies up your answers. If you score 100, it means you forgot which knee it was. The average ACL reconstruction scores in the 70s, low 70s. The average ACL repair scores in the mid 80s. The average person who's never had ACL surgery scores in the mid 80s. 
So, so you're basically putting them at a point where the surgery almost never even happened in their eyes. Well, think about what I'm telling you. I'm going to take your tissue that tore off the bone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to stick it right back anatomically where it came from. And then it's going to heal because the body likes to heal when things are sitting next to bleeding bone. Every tendon repair in the entire body that we do, we take the tendon, we stick it to the bleeding bone and it heals and the people are fine. So I'm going to take your normal ACL, stick it right back where it came from and it's going to heal. So it's not actually that shocking that people feel normal. You keep all the nerve endings, you keep all the blood supply, you put the ligament back, you have a couple of percentage points, call it five, call it 10, pick a, pick a number, who cares? If 90% of the people are good and they go through a surgery that's one-tenth of the recovery of a reconstruction and the 10% that fail can have a reconstruction, why wouldn't you want to do it? Right, right. I mean, you can pick any number. Like, think about yourself. How old are you? Uh, 25. Okay, you're 25. You you went you you studied real hard. You went out there. You you got your rehab your therapy degree, and now you're out there banging it out. You you're grinding the the good wheel, trying to help people. And you've seen a lot of people who've torn their ACL. Yeah. Now if you if you tore your ACL tomorrow, let's say you were skiing, you had a low twist or something like that, didn't swell up too bad, whatnot. They told you your ACL's torn. Would you think twice about having a reconstruction? No one would you know. Uh, you're going to be the first person I call. So damn straight I am because that's what everybody says, because this makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I can tell you multiple doctors at the hospital for special surgery tore their ACL and elected to not have the surgery because they said, ah, I'll change the way I live. I'll do extra rehab, but I don't want to, I want, I don't want the downtime of the surgery. Right. So right. and you know, as well as I do, that the downtime is significant and the atrophy of your leg is giant and people struggle. And if you don't have to struggle, but even if you have a little chance that maybe you'd have to come back, it's probably not a bad idea. Right. It's worth it's worth thinking about. That's for sure. It's worth calling me. People can call me. They can do a video call. I can look at the damn MRI and tell you what your chances are of having it. We have people flying from all over the world to get this surgery. And I can tell you with tremendous accuracy just by looking at your MRI whether you'd be a candidate for repair. Now, the other thing is this. I'm going to throw this one out there. If you look at my, uh, my Instagram, you can, you'll see a bunch of examples. I have tons of patients who tell me that they went to get a second opinion or a third opinion and the other doctors told them that ACL repair doesn't work and they got kind of angry. There's one I just posted a few days ago and I asked her, she's five years after her ACL re repair. She's doing great. She runs every day. She never thinks about it ever. And I said, tell me, you, you were just about to have a reconstruction with another doctor. What did he say when you uh, told him you were going to have a repair? And she goes, oh, yeah. He started screaming at me, telling me that I was an idiot. And then I was going to I was going to be back and my ACL was going to tear and it was the bad decision. And, and I was like, really? Well, that's kind of funny, you know. And so what happens is people I have, an, I have another patient super quick. He was he went out. And he's a real uh, studious guy. And he he's like a researcher for a hedge fund. 
and he he's a German guy, and he came in to see me, and he said, Doc, I want you to know that I've seen four other world-famous experts in ACL surgery. And I went on video calls around the world with the most famous guys in the world. And they all told me that I needed a reconstruction, that ACL was torn right in the middle. And I said, but he goes, but I wanted to hear what you had to say because you're the repair guy. And I said, well, that's interesting because your ACL is not torn in the middle. It's torn at the top and it's sagging down a little bit. So there's a little buckle in the middle. But I can absolutely repair you. In fact, let's do it tomorrow. And he's like, okay. And I showed him. And I, he said, Doc, can I stay awake during the surgery? I said, yeah, you can watch the whole time. You can watch and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. And he said, and sure enough, he got up. And he was walking the same day. He was running in six weeks. He, in fact, I think he biked in. He biked into his his visit four weeks after surgery or something like that. And he's doing he's doing tremendously well. So the other thing I would say to people out there is that be careful who gives you your second opinion. If the person this if the surgeon doesn't do ACL repair, then they're probably going to tell you that you need a reconstruction. Right. You've got to you've got to ask a person who's done a bunch of these things, who's comfortable. So I, that's why I always tell people, beware who your second opinion is. You know, the eye, the eye sees what the mind knows. And a huge majority of the surgeons out there have never done an ACL repair. They've never seen a patient recover. They've never done one. They have no idea what it's about. They've heard it a few times. But when you ask them what you, they, you should have, they're going to tell you reconstruction. So as they say, call me. <laughs> <laughs> Man, call we, me. Um, we'll, we'll put your office phone number in the description below in addition to your Instagram and stuff too to make it easier for people here, Doctor. Yeah, and people, you know, people also, you know, now look nowadays, people think like, oh, I live in Kansas. I live in here. I live in Missouri. I, I live in, you know, Utah. I can't get, I can't go to New you know, there's 5,000 flights a day into New York. You can fly into New York, do your surgery, stay here for a week, and it, it works out great. You know, in fact, I've had a bunch of people <laughs> shout out to uh, at Happahole, which is uh, one of my Instagram, uh, my patient's Instagram uh, taglines. She was a volleyball player, like a mom volleyball player from Southern California in around L.A. And she tore ACL. She flew out. And she did. She brought her husband with her. She got the, her parents to cover the kids. And uh, she said, Doc, I had so little pain that me and my husband treated it like a honeymoon. We went out to a Broadway show. We went to dinner. We was, I was just kept my brace on and we, it was a honeymoon. I was like, oh, my gosh, it was hilarious. Man, She's man. Uh, she, she had a great outcome. She's super, super supportive of us because all my patients are like, uh, you know, I tell them all, I say, look, I tell them that story. I say, look, 300,000 people are going to tear their ACL this year. Three 3,000 of them are probably going to get a repair. And the rest of them are never going to even know it was a possibility. So if you get one or you hear about it or you learn about it, tell people. Because things don't change just because one person starts to do something. It has to spread. I mean, we're in the age of, of viral videos and all this stuff, Right. But yeah, I don't know how to do that. I mean, I have to be 15, you know, and like an influencer to do that. You know, I'm, I'm just a surgeon, and, but this is a really cool topic and it would 
and it's helping a lot of people and it can help a lot more. So um, hopefully, you know, this is, this is one way I thank you for having me on the show and hopefully a lot of people will listen to it and uh, we'll, you know, hit my website and, you know, we have a, we have a, I started a foundation for the research. It's called the DeFelice Foundation for, uh, for orthopedics and all the, it's a charity and all the money's raised for the, for the foundation uh, go to supporting the research into um, telling this story and publishing papers and it supports these uh, research fellows. So uh, that's, that's another thing you asked me to, or you said uh, to, what else is there? Um, and for anybody else who's in the New York area, uh, October 28th, the other thing I have is I have a band. And uh, that's kind of unusual. I, my band is called Dr. D and the Repaired Men. And uh, the, the fun thing about my band is that all the people in my band I've operated on are patients of mine. That's why they're called the Repaired Men. And uh, all the money from the concert which again is October 28th. You can uh, check out my social media stuff and find the uh, connection and get tickets. Is at the Cutting Room in New York City. We're having a big uh, benefit concert to raise money to uh, for the foundation uh, to support the research. So that's a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. Is there anything you don't do, Doctor D? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, I, I mean, maybe sleep. It's a it's yeah, a late night say, for you. I don't get much sleep, right? <laughs> but really appreciate your time and all the knowledge and insight that you shared with us today, Dr. D. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Happy to uh, discuss it. You know, other people, if they're interested, you can always hit us up. Um, you'll You'll have the connections out there for us. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you've liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend, subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.